get to the bottom of what's truly healthy in this crazy, complex world. So you can take back what is rightfully yours. Welcome to the Health Sovereign Podcast. This is your host, Logan Christopher. Welcome back. Got another couple medical monopoly musings for you today. A lot of time I try to do a series two related issues, but today two completely different topics. First up, we're going into how racism can be behind medicine, an old example, Tuskegee, with that. And in addition, we'll be looking at a topic I'll definitely be exploring a lot more, uh, what I'm calling narrative control. How is it that these ideas, these beliefs, this perception of medicine has become so widespread? Not a simple thing. That's why we'll be exploring a lot. Today, we'll be talking about how Wikipedia the online encyclopedia, anyone can edit, is used as part of this. So let's dive in. Medical Monopoly Musings, number 46. Scientific Racism. With race being in the news, I figured it would be worth looking into conventional medicine's racist past up to current times. Yep, scientific racism is deeply wrapped in eugenic roots and a part of how modern medicine came to be. Understand that both science and medicine were some of the strongest tools used to reinforce the belief that white men were superior. There's no better well-known example of this than that of Tuskegee. Syphilis was a scourge at the time. Medical treatment for this involved mercury and arsenic, which, as you might imagine, had a low cure rate and toxic side effects, including death. The official name of this scientific study was Tuskegee Study of Untreated Syphilis in the Negro Male, which began in 1932. 600 black men were enrolled in Macon County, Alabama, 399 with syphilis and 201 without. The researchers told the men they were being treated for bad blood, but no treatment was given beyond placebo, just observation of the disease running its course, which included blindness, insanity, and death. The study was done without informed consent, meaning the participants were lied to about what was happening. They called it a study in nature, rather than an experiment, because it was believed that black people would not seek out treatment for syphilis. It was originally designed to last just six months, but they decided to continue it for what amounted to 40 years. In 1945, penicillin became the accepted treatment for syphilis. Not only were the patients in the study not treated, but efforts were made to stop them from getting treatment elsewhere, such as from local doctors. The Alabama Health Department was given a list of people in the study to not treat. Even when the Army drafted these men and uncovered syphilis during exams, they were removed from the Army rather than being treated. In a report on the study, Senior Public Health Service Administrator Oliver Wenger wrote, We know now, where we could only surmise before, that we have contributed to their ailments and shortened their lives. I think the least we can say is that we have a high moral obligation to those that have died to make this the best study possible. Not let's stop this study, just let's make good science. To use the words high moral in there is cruelly ironic. It wasn't just infected men that suffered. Due to lack of treatment, syphilis spread, including to the men's wives and children, congenital syphilis. In the 60s, concerns were raised. But in 1969, the Centers for Disease Control and American Medical Association, two of our great noble institutions, both officially supported continuation of the study. A whistleblower, Peter Buxton, leaked information to the New York Times, 
which published a front-page article in 1972 condemning the study. An advisory panel was formed to investigate. Their conclusion was the study was ethically unjustified and ordered it to stop. Two years later, a $10 million out-of-court settlement was reached. As president in 1997, Bill Clinton offered an, an official apology. Medical people were supposed to help when we need care, but even once a cure was discovered, they were denied help and they were lied to by their government. Our government is supposed to protect the rights of its citizens. Their rights were trampled upon. The United States government did something that was wrong, deeply, profoundly, morally wrong. To our African-American citizens, I am sorry that your federal government orchestrated a study so clearly racist. A one-time mistake, right? Well, there's a U.S.-sponsored study from 1946 to 1948 involving at least one of the same scientists from Tuskegee where Guatemalans were intentionally infected with syphilis and other STDs without consent. Science being objective and amoral can easily be used to inject whatever morality those practicing it have, including the inferiority of certain peoples. No, it wasn't just Nazi scientists that conducted cruel medical experiments. It's been far more common than you might think. Medical Monopoly number 47, Wikipedia's Medical Lockdown. Wikipedia is the encyclopedia that anyone can edit, except that's not quite the truth. Editors that have been around since the beginning have control over edits almost completely. Investigative journalist Cheryl Atkinson discusses this in a 2016 news report. The promise of accurate, neutral articles and privacy for contributors is often just a mirage, according to two insiders. Of note here is the problem of special interest controlling information. You don't have to look much further than co-founder Larry Sanger, who said, People that I would say are trolls sort of took over. The inmates started running the asylum. In May of this year, he wrote an article titled, Wikipedia is Badly Biased, stating that Wikipedia's neutral point of view is dead. Few places is this more true than Wikipedia's medical articles. Yet these get even more traffic than WebMD. Nearly 75% of U.S. physicians going online for professional purposes are visiting Wikipedia for medical information according to Manhattan Research, says Eileen O'Brien, Director, Search and Innovation at Siren Interactive. And 36% of U.S. consumers search for health info on Wikipedia according to Rodale's DTC study. Why so popular? A big reason is Google holds Wikipedia in high esteem. A top 10 result for almost any search will yield a Wikipedia article. Oftentimes, they embed excerpts into the search page itself. Just recently, Facebook has been testing adding Wikipedia to its search results. Despite its popularity, a study found that 9 out of 10 medical entries contain inaccuracies and antiquated data. Only 1 out of 10 was correct and up-to-date with medical research. How does Wikipedia look at health? They are strongly in the conventional medicine is the only medicine camp. Look at how they display it. Alternative and pseudo are falsely equated. Right next to an alternative medicine, we have quackery, pseudoscience, and anti-science. In fact, they define alternative medicine as describing any practice that aims to achieve the healing effects of medicine, but which lacks biological plausibility and is untested, untestable, or proven ineffective. Does that sound fair and neutral? Something as simple as breathwork is somehow fringe medicine and science and right next to camel urine. Non-pharmaceutical treatments for diseases from arthritis to asthma 
treatments and practitioners alike condemned out of hand as lunatic charlatans by Wikipedia's co-founder and spiritual father, Jimmy Wales, along with his skeptic Palisgar, says Progressive Radio Network. So let's see how that is done. Greg Coles, a man blocked from editing on Wikipedia, says, Wikipedia is often edited by people who have an agenda. You'll have different people with a particular scientific point of view, and they'll edit and modify Wikipedia so that its articles kind of reflect that point of view. To show an example, after making an edit to Morgellons disease, it was removed 38 minutes later by an administrator. Coe says, It seems to me that this is someone who is either involved with the medical profession or the pharmaceutical profession. They probably have an agenda to discredit or to suppress alternative medicines, things of that nature. Scandals have erupted before over editors being paid by businesses for positive edits. Pharmaceutical company AstraZeneca's employees got caught for positively editing its drug entries, including removing the side effect for those under 18 of increased suicidality for the drug Seroquel. Medtronic had an employee editing pages for surgeries, such as kyphoplasties, that used their medical devices to show the surgery in a more positive light. These incidents may be fairly easy to catch, but is there a roundabout way of doing it? From past issues, number 28 and 29, we know that the NIH is riddled with conflicts of interest from Big Pharma thanks to Harold Varmus ever since the 90s. And the NIH encourages Wikipedia editing, having guidelines that will help you to become a part of a unique opportunity in keeping with the NIH's history of making credible, vetted, authoritative information available to the public. The time spent can be minimal, but the impact could be great. That's all well and good if accurate. That's quite horrible if used for narrative control. The conflict of interest won't be disclosed because they are publicly paid scientists. Just a few key people doing this well will have large impacts on the public. So with racism in the news, I figured it would be worthwhile to look into Tuskegee. I had certainly heard of it before, knew a little bit of the details, but never dove deep into the topic. Now, I do want to say, I, and this is tough tough things to say just sending that out as an email uh the tuskegee experiment scientific racism i got called by someone a customer anti-white for that and early in the week i had been called racist toward blacks such as the time we find ourselves in where uh if you're not if you say anything basically you're going to be taken out of context taken the wrong way based on other people's uh preconceived ideas so, obviously, racism exists, and racism is a problem, but I do not believe it is the biggest problem we are facing today, despite the media coverage of such. To me, the biggest problem, what I'm covering in these this Health Sovereign podcast, what I'm covering in these Medical Monopoly episodes, is corruption. And the corruption, while some of it may have a foundation in racism, because we see that with medicine, got started when... Racism was a much bigger thing. We saw the eugenic roots there, but also the same with science. Uh, much more of a problem way back when. Is it that big of a problem now? Not. It's not huge, in my opinion. Of course, I am a white man, so I am not allowed to have an opinion on this topic. Uh, any opinion I have is invalid. That is how many people perceive it. But to me, corruption is the root issue. Corruption is affecting every single race, every single class of people, uh, except for the those corrupt individuals at the top that make the rules. I'm reminded of the quote, uh, stupid criminals break the laws, smart criminals make the laws. And that's really 
what I'm talking about here. So if we can work on <laughs> that corruption, then, and that's what I'm trying to bring light to because light on corruption at least lets you know that this is a problem, therefore you should not trust the system. You should try to opt out of this system as you can. But the thing we're switching into, as I talked about with Wikipedia there, and that's the first of one of many uh, issues where I am exploring this idea of what I'm calling narrative control. How is it that this dominant system is able to perpetuate itself despite its obvious flaws, despite all the corruption? How is it able to do that? And we're, we're seeing this play out in the news today more and more because these problems have gotten worse over time. But let's go back to Tuskegee. How did that come to be public knowledge? There was a whistleblower involved. So one of the scientists that was actually uh, working on the data, I didn't see all the details of that or uh, put them into that episode, but someone that was got access to that data and that person felt that this was wrong as it was. When they tried to talk to superiors, other people in there uh, to try to correct this, he got squashed there. So he leaked it out to the press, to the New York Times. Now this was back in the late 60s, the early 70s, I believe it was. Here is a question for you. We had a whistleblower in a similar sort of circumstance and they leaked it to the New York Times. Would that information make a front page article? Would it make the New York Times at all today? Personally, I do not believe so, because we can see other examples, stories where whistleblowers' stories are killed by such media, and that is something we're going into in future issues, specifically looking around mainstream news. We covered Wikipedia here, which is a small but important part of the online media landscape, but of course the, the dominant media still is the dominant media, even though we're seeing that start to uh, happen. So a key point with this is uh, journalists may have wanted the story, but the managerial layer or the executive level layer is where these stories can be killed. So if something like Tuskegee happened today, we would not hear about it. And I'm reminded of the CDC whistleblower, William Thompson, who tried to put this information out and no media would pick it up because of these different reasons. And it's the, the tie-in of the media with the corporate board of owners with pharmaceutical interests, something we'll be exploring as well. And of course, this revolving door going on into the government officials. And the reason I'm looking at this topic of narrative control is how did we get to this place? How are we here? How do we find ourselves here? Uh, in discussions with people, I have found that people cannot even perceive this as a possibility because it seems like it would have to be a giant worldwide conspiracy that everyone is in on it in order for this stuff to be true. Now, I've personally looked at enough so I know it absolutely is true. I'm trying to understand how this conspiracy exists with very few people actually being in on the conspiracy. Very few people actually knowing. It is because of these, what I'm calling, 100 different moving pieces. So we saw a little bit of that with Wikipedia, right? Wikipedia is this authority online, even though like most people know it's not completely trustworthy, they trust it enough. Uh, especially you would think around a medical topic, it should be. But if we see these few key pieces of how pharmaceutical 
employees themselves can edit pages or they hire people. They have these editors in high positions of authority that have complete lockdown and control of the medical pages and they are just wide open. Like go look at the alternative medicine Wikipedia page and you'll see it is so far biased in one direction. Uh, which we saw the co-founder of Wikipedia telling you that that is the case. And it is these moving pieces, the pieces of the puzzle on this narrative control that are hard to understand because there are so many of them. So I had that example of the NIH, which if we go back many issues ago, NIH back in the 90s when Harold Varmus, who I like to call Varmus the Varmint, was in control. He did away with a rule that basically stopped conflicts of interest from being a problem. He allowed scientists to have lots and lots of conflicts of interest, as he himself had. And with this, the scientists could then be in the pocket of the pharmaceutical industries, be getting paid good money in order to do science. And then if people at the NIH, if these same scientists are then editing Wikipedia because they are the experts on such topics, do you not see how this could be just a small piece of how Wikipedia gets to the position that it is? Now, I do not know the whole story here. There's probably a lot more going on, but we can see the example of this. If you just look at a few pages, you can clearly see the bias in Wikipedia. And once again, that's just one piece of the puzzle, but notice how these pieces interlock with other pieces. Google holds Wikipedia in high esteem. Almost any search result, you're going to get Wikipedia as one of the top results, including for medical and health information. Absolutely. And if you on YouTube, which is owned by Google, if they're linking to Wikipedia pages as well, Facebook is testing, rolling that out. So understand control of this one asset or not control, but huge influence of this one asset then allows so much more to happen. And that's why these many different pieces, how these many different pieces fit together and how this narrative control that, you know, if we look at it, we see what's going on. We have enough proof of all this stuff happening. This is how it perpetuates. This is how it has also grown over time. That's one of, uh, I guess you could call it a hypothesis of mine, but something I'm seeing the pattern is that, although, you know, there's always been corruption, corruption in our institutions grows over time. So if we're talking about race, there's a, the term of uh, systemic or uh, institutional racism. Again, is that a problem in some cases? Absolutely. I, I, it undoubtedly is. Is it so systemic that our whole police force needs to be disbanded? I, I don't agree with that. But corruption, I think corruption is a much bigger piece here that we do see in police force. Absolutely, that is there, especially higher levels, some areas more so than others. Uh, but in our sciences, in our media, in our politics, in the companies, we see how these pieces fit together. So once again, this is just the first piece of opening salvo on this whole topic of narrative control. And as I'm digging into this, I'm seeing just more and more pieces of how it all fits together and how, if you understand this, you can explain, you can understand how we find ourselves in this position today. So I hope you've enjoyed this episode. We'll be back with more on narrative control, especially coming soon. Thanks for listening.